uh, the broadcasting world. It's all about me. It's all about being a star, being loved and, and, and followed by so many others. And social media is like that now. And, and you know what? The real people that do it for the right reasons that are real and allow you into their lives, those are the stars. And my next guest did it for 45 years. John Telich is next. And the heat is on. Let's get cooking. This is Purpose Under Pressure, sharing stories of why we're here and how we fight to make it happen. We are in our third season. And folks, if you like this enough to listen and you're out there, can you do me a favor, maybe hit that follow button, subscribe, leave a review or something just to let a friend know that we're here and we're something worth listening to. It's important and it helps others know that this show might be worth uh, they're giving it a shot as well. So that's how we grow. And I look forward to your help there. Purpose Under Pressure is brought to you in partnership with Sandler by the Ruby Group, serving sales professionals nationwide from their Akron in Columbus, Ohio and Jacksonville, Florida locations. Sometimes I'm going to have to get down there, visit those folks down there. Selling is an art and it's at the heart of everything you do in business world. So do it on purpose with Sandler by the Ruby Group. Check them out online at therubygroup.sandler.com. I'm so excited about today because for a lot of reasons, and I don't even know what the show is going to ultimately end up being about, but it could be about anything. Here, here's who we're talking to today, folks. He's a 45-year veteran of the Cleveland sports news and broadcasting industry. He's retired sports director for WJW Fox 8 TV. You already know who I'm talking about now. He's an 11-time Emmy winner, vice president of the Greater Cleveland Sports Hall of Fame. He's also an Ashland Eagle alumni like I am, and he's the host of the Telich Talks podcast. I just gave it away. John Telich, welcome to Purpose <laughs> Under Pressure. Hey, Brian, good to be with you. Boy, it would be really stupid of me to have some podcast called like Schwartz Talks yeah, that instead of Telich Talks. So I kind of figured that's how we should go. Yeah, that's how I named my company, <laughs> Brian Media, too. It's like real creative, right? Yeah, it's your name. It's your name. It, works. Thing. it does work. John. So, John, welcome to the show. I told you Thanks, a little man. bit before the show. You don't remember, but I do. You were integral in my coming to Ashland College to become a broadcaster, which led to this sure. and led to everything I'm doing now. And so you may not know it. You called me one day and said, Brian, I hear you're wanting to come to Ashland College. I'm like, it's the John Tellich on the phone. And so I went there. So thank oh, you boy. for playing that role way back then. <laughs> you bet. My pleasure, man. Absolutely. <laughs> I got to watch you a lot on TV. I got to watch a lot of winnings Brown seasons and losing Brown season. And uh, you oh, were yeah. always part of the uh, the environment in our home. And so I'm really excited to talk with you about this. Thank and our, our show is Purpose Under Pressure, John. And you've been yeah. at it for 45 years. And I know a little bit about the broadcasting industry. I sure, know it's of full of you. it. Can you tell yeah. me first what your purpose is in life, why you do what you do, maybe even why you did what you did, but what you're made of. And then we're going to get to some of the struggles along and we're going to have some interesting conversation. Fantastic, Brian. Uh, my purpose is to lift other people up. And uh, I think it was uh, instilled upon me or in me by my mom and my dad. Uh, had a great um, uh, youth here, uh, uh, younger years here in Euclid, Ohio. I actually live only about 10 blocks from where my parents raised me and my four sibs. And uh, so that's it. My mom was just, you know, she was one of those people that, you know, didn't really uh, shout it, but lived it. And she was always about others, and she was always just an incredibly uh, uplifting type of person. And my dad was a hard-charging businessman and very giving towards the community um, and was liked by so many people, very successful at what he did. 
And both of them instilled upon me to be um, someone that always looks at the better side of people and, <clears throat> excuse me, have that work ethic, which I know my dad got from his father. My grandfather came over from Slovenia as a 15-year-old boy and in, in pretty much rags to riches kind of a, a, a story here in, in, in America. And so I kind of got a lot of that from my, my, my grandpa, my dad, my mom. But ultimately, I believe, is, I believe the key, key to success is to remove yourself from the equation and look to lift other people up. And in the process, you know, the sea will rise and your boat will do just fine. So, so why broadcasting then? If you want to lift people up, and of course <laughs> now is different than 45 years ago. We could talk about yes, that. Yes, it is. But sure, how did you sure. enter into broadcasting if what you want to do is is help people? Where was the tie there? Well, okay. The first of all, the love of sports was the reason I thought that I could have a a, a good life in broadcasting. So I I played sports as a kid and and I was very involved in the sporting scene. And I always felt when I played sports that I was in a community of like-minded people that we were all working for the same cause. And again, getting back to the bigger than yourself kind of a thing. And so I I thought that way. I love sports. I wanted to describe sports. I wanted to tell sports stories. And that's what led me to Ashland College back in the day. And that's what led me to leading to meeting people like Marty Larson, who helped me get into the radio business. But all through that, um, I, as, as I continued on my craft, um, I got to the point where if I can tell stories that can make a difference for mm. other people, mm. I think that would be even more of an exciting way. And that gets back to your earlier question about the purpose. And and the purpose has always been be involved with something that's greater than yourself. Lift people up. You want to be strong? Well, lift someone up. That'll make you even stronger yourself. So that's kind of like the the ethos, ethos, if you will, uh, by how I try to live things. And do you think that that is a little bit different than what we we typically see in on-air personalities. Sometimes we think, at least I think, that it's about me. If I'm the announcer, look at me. Let me make something that's going to make you want to pay attention to me. And yet you say you're focused on others. How did that impact your career? Did it separate you a little bit? Uh, I don't know if it separated me from anyone else, but uh, my thought from the beginning was uh, I want to be part of a successful organization and a successful organization is a lot of people that, as I mentioned earlier, take themselves out of the equation. So um, I found that to be the case for me. I did have some of that me. There's there. If some people said when I retired, God, he had no ego. Mm -hmm. And I, and I would say, no, we all have egos. I always Wanted to do my best, and I wanted to be recognized for it. Is probably the reason why I'm sitting uh, in front of a wall that's filled with some things that that uh, happen to be over my career. So again, uh, there is ego involved, but for for me, it was just very enjoyable. It was enjoyable as far as just being able to work with my my teammates and have a good time and have that purpose towards making the broadcast the best it can be. It's amazing when you're able to take that purpose and actually put it to work on a daily basis, swing your feet out of bed and go do something that you're meant to do. I'm interested now as well in the pressure. And I know a little bit, just this much about the broadcasting (laughs) industry, but I know it's hard. And I know there's a lot of competition and I know there's a lot of ego. When we talk about pressure, what do you remember? What do you think about over your career that that really was a storm that tried to knock you off? 
Well, every day was filled with it, and I know you would concur with that, Brian. Um, there were days where I would come to work, uh, especially the the years when I went, when as the sports director, I was um, in charge of running everything. You know, what what are we going to cover today? Uh, what's what's the direction that the day will take? So um, there was pressure to, to come up with the best stories. There was pressure to make sure that I had good sources when I was uh, checking out or investigating a story. I didn't want to go on the air with false information. Mm. Uh, there was a lot of pressure because you're on the air so many times uh, and to make sure you got your stories written well edited well there was pressure when that red light went on because you're live in front of uh, thousands of people in northeast ohio and um i felt the pressure when i first started at channel 8 that was 1980 i was 27 years old i'd been in the business for 4 years in three previous markets most recently was buffalo new york but when i got to cleveland i felt the pressure hometown kid i was excited i'm covering my hometown teams the indians the browns the Cavaliers and high school football and stuff like that. And I felt the pressure to do the stories the right way. Um, but I had great mentors. I had Virgil Dominic as a boss who was just absolutely fabulous. I have phenomenal teammates, uh, Jim Mueller. Um, may he rest in peace. Jim taught me the ropes when I came to Channel 8. So, so much pressure during the day. I, I as, biz, as it went on, I felt more and more comfortable the higher the stakes were. Yeah. Uh, if the script blew away or if if uh, the, I couldn't see the highlights I was ad-libbing to or, you know, the things happen in the studio that uh, cause you to go crazy. If any of that stuff happened, I felt more and more calmed uh, by the fact that I had the experience or I could be able to, I was able to handle that situation. So that was that was kind of how things went for me. But um, yeah, kind of like a water off a duck's back for me. Uh, when the pressure is amped up, I feel more a sense of calm in that I can get the job done. So let's talk about it a little bit in the pressure. So you wake up in the morning and the, the sporting event hasn't happened yet. And it's not, the yeah. day's not done until you've reported on it. Is yeah. there more pressure in getting everything right and making sure and all the prep that happens? Or is there more pressure when the person behind the camera says, okay, we're on five, four, three, two, one, go. They say, never yeah. let you see him sweat. Yeah. And, yet, and yet there's gotta be some times. Can, can you share some times when that pressure of putting that together? Yeah. Can you share a specific event where when the camera went on, you're just like, oh man, this is not going to go well. And yet you pulled it off. <laughs> Well, uh, I can give you the, you know, the story of when the Indians lost the World Series in Miami uh, back in in 97. I mean, we were there in that ninth inning. We were ready to report. We won were, that thing. You know, there were, they won. Come on, yeah. it's over. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I can remember the pressure of, you know, being outside the locker room and, and uh, Tony Rizzo there with me and waiting for uh, the game to be over. And then when things went awry, um, I can tell you the stories uh, of, of probably one of my better stories is uh, when the Cavaliers lost to Michael Jordan. All these, all these big yeah. pressure moments were the big moments in Cleveland sports history, yeah. whether it was the drive. I'm in. Uh, on the field in, at Cleveland Municipal Stadium when Elway goes 98 yards with the Broncos. I'm in Denver when Ernest Biner fumbles the ball. I'm on the sidelines at the old Coliseum when Michael Jordan hits the shot. And uh, that's a specific kind of memory to me in the sense that I went into the locker room right after the game and I got interviews with four or five of the Cavaliers. And then I was to go right back out and be live on the air and kind of 
roll those interviews from the players. And at that time, I wasn't able to get those things fed uh, to the station so they could turn them around and play them for me. Okay. And so here I am, a game, everybody in, is devastated. I'm removing the fandom that you have because we all have some degree of it. And I'm a, you know, I'm a reporter. I have to give you, I wanted to always be known as someone who gave you both sides of the story and that you could uh, believe my words. And so I was out to do that. But when uh, they went to me live, they told me in my ear that we don't have the interviews. So I kind of ad lib. There's your pressure again, Brian. I ad lib what Brad Doherty told me, what Ron Harper told me, what Mark Price said, what Larry Nance said, what Coach Lenny said. I, I ad libbed all that stuff. And, um, and I was able to handle it fairly well. But I just remember I'm standing there next to Jim Donovan, Channel 3, the late Neb Chandler, God rest his soul, uh, from Channel 5, and the locker room door is right behind me, and I I couldn't, you know, they the people on the that were watching me weren't hearing any of these guys because the video we had the snafu with not being able to play the videotape. Yeah. Well, I see Ronnie Harper walking out of the locker room, and I literally walked right behind Jim Donovan, who's on the air, right behind Nev Chandler, who's on the air, and grabbed Ron Harper and walked him over to try to get the interview. So that was a bit of pressure, um, yeah. but all of those moments, they, they've come, Brian, with some significant thing that's happened in Cleveland sports. And there's been, been some fantastic moments, you know, when the, when the Indians made the, the uh, playoffs for the first time in 95. I remember that night getting misty-eyed thinking about Nev Chandler, who was a mentor to me, even though he was a competitor. Uh, he had passed away the year before, and all I could think of was, darn it. You know, Nev's not getting a chance to yeah. enjoy this. And he was such yeah. a fantastic broadcaster. So, you know, the pressure comes and, and it goes. And I just think, you know, Lucy Goosey, have a have, have a good time. Um, don't let them see you sweat. Yeah. And it can make for a better broadcast, usually. Do you find that the, the biggest moments are more pressure packed or do you take on your role and your job every single day the same way and then just respond? Do you, do you feel a difference under the weight? Um, I feel that I try to be as consistent as possible, Brian, so that when there is a crazy moment, um, it, it doesn't upset me, doesn't get my blood pressure to rise that much. So probably the answer would be stay consistent as much as possible. Yeah. Uh, sure, I've had some on-air moments, uh, you know, where where I might have said the wrong thing. Um, heck, uh, just... Uh, Two mornings ago, I said a word wrong when I was uh, reading, doing the readings at church, and, and my oh. my number one critic let me know about it afterwards. <laughs> Did you realize you said "live" instead of "live"? <laughs> so you know, it's, uh, so uh, I never worry about that stuff. But yeah. you know, pressure. Uh, and I, I there are some other people that uh, I can be in the newsroom, and there's one report I'll I'll keep that person uh, uh, off key and won't let you know who it is. But they were the type that were like, "All right." Stand by. I've got, you know, but I could do my stuff in the newsroom with people walking by and television blaring or in loud stadiums. I just felt comfortable to uh, uh, give you my spiel on the air. Yeah. So let, let's let's talk about one of the pressures I see people having in business is retiring. Mm -hmm. And yeah. and uh, you've had a, a, an amazing career. We, I, I mentioned, so you got the trophies behind you, 45 years, 11 <laughs> Emmys. You, I mean, people know when John Tellis walks in the room, they know you. Retiring and walking away from that limelight yeah. and that, how is, what's that like? And how do you maintain a sense of, of passion and, and, and purpose? 
in your life? Well, uh, uh, Brian, it it I knew it would be an adjustment, and I I sat down and had coffee with my old boss Virgil Dominic not that long ago, and I also had him on my podcast. He was a fa- really fascinating story to how he got into it, into broadcasting. But he asked me, he said, "Could you, you know, do you did you think you could walk away from that?" And my my feeling was I didn't. I didn't want to stick around and kind of be the person where they start asking you, are you thinking about retiring soon? I never wanted to be that person. I was very confident in my abilities, but I looked at, um, uh, you know, usually I wanted to do a, retire at a certain time and I kind of met that timetable and God bless my boss, Andy Fishman for allowing me to set the terms of when I, it was never a case of, uh, you know, it's time for you to retire. It was when I wanted to. So I was very mm-hmm. blessed and I'm still not really retired because I do Friday night touchdown with our, you know, high school football coverage, which is a passion yes. of mine. But um, it was a different mindset when I walked out of that building in February of 2022. And but yet it, it's been such a wonderful experience for me in the sense that I do have that ego. And so there is still some part of me that wants to be involved in the media. So I still have a presence doing that and working with the uh, Greater Cleveland Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, I do a little Brown stint on a radio station in Illyria uh, once a week. So I have my fingers in the pot still, but I've been really able to enjoy the fact that I can be more social with my neighbors and obviously with my wife, because uh, I always had that ready-made answer, you know, Hey, we're at, we're, there's a party on Friday night. Well, I can't, I've got, you know, I'm working Yeah. and there's Saturday, this oh, uh, Sunday, well, well the, the Browns are playing. <laughs> and so I never could really have uh, a chance to do that. So I've really enjoyed being involved in community things at my choosing my timetable. And really the podcast has been like you doing yours. It has been a real, passionate filled uh enterprise for me to talk to people who've had moments in their lives where they kind of pivoted to something that was uh turned out to be much better for them and it's been so fascinating because when i did my job i was in this little box for like three or four minutes and in that box i had you do the calves the browns the indians college sports, high school sports, whatever was the big stories of the day. Right. And it could just do it in three, four minutes. Now I can sit down with someone um, and chat. I did a, a gentleman, which I found really fascinating. His name's Dean Hall. He lives up in the Portland area. He's a life coach. And 10, 11 years ago, <clears throat> excuse me, he was dying of leukemia and lymphoma. And he was at wit's end. He didn't know what to do. Um, he thought he was, you know, he thought he was a goner. And he went back, uh, he was moving back home and he noticed in, in, uh, some of the stuff he was cleaning up from this attic, there was a little note that he wrote when he was 12 years old that it said, I, Dean Hall, someday am going to swim the English Channel. Now, that's no small undertaking. No. And, uh, Dean is, you know, really a fit guy and grew up in that kind of an environment with his parents being that way too. Um, and he decided that, well, everybody, not everybody, but it, that that is a very well-known endeavor and tough thing to do swim the english channel but he came up with a plan to swim the the willamette river in portland which is 187 miles long now this is a guy that's dealing with with lymphoma he's got you know sores under his arms and um, and yet he went out uh trained for months and then hopped in that water with his wetsuit his father 
was the one that paddled alongside them each day. They broke it down and did it in like 25, 30, I'm not sure, 25 days, I believe it was, okay. 43 degree weather. Uh, uh, water and he was able to complete this swim first person to ever do it and in the process you know i've told i've spoken with him it's been 10 years since he was dying so obviously he's doing well and uh i i felt his story was really cool to show to uh, the people that listen to my podcast so those are kind of the types of things that i enjoy doing and you can have a real detailed um chat with somebody when you're doing it in this platform versus when you're live on TV and you have two, three minutes to get the story done. I think it's really unique that this podcast, although I, I assume it's on a lesser scale, like not as many people see it as, you know, everybody, if you were in everyone's home when you were on TV yes. and now it's a little more of a Correct. niche thing for you, but yet, yeah. isn't it kind of a pinnacle for you? Your purpose stated purpose is lifting people up. Yes. And now, because you were able to have this great success on air in, in a very public way, you can now transition that to do what you want to do to raise the people you want to raise up. They don't have to, Bingo. you don't have to wait for Michael Jordan to hit the shot. You get to right. call the shot and, and bring people to public. This is almost the pinnacle for you, isn't it? This, this is a real cool way that you're, uh, uh, metaphorically saying it. You're absolutely right on the money. And, and I've really gotten more, uh, felt more passion for doing it because I'm, and and I'm pushing it more. You know, it used to be when I was on the air, people would say, um, do you ever watch, you know, you ever watch videotape of yourself or if you make a mistake on the air, if you have a great story or what, do you ever go back and watch it? And I go, not really that much because each day evolves into the next one and it's really busy and there's the pressures of that day that you're dealing with. I never really took the time to look back at that stuff per se. Uh, now that I'm retired, I do a little bit more. It's always cool to to know that you had you know played a part in other people's lives in the business and what have you. But with doing the pod and the interviews with the people that I've uh, uh, run into, it 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 feels like I'm accomplishing more. But obviously, the amount of people that are seeing and well are listening to mm-hmm. the story is far less than what used to watch me on a daily basis. And that's almost a metaphor, uh, Brian, for the way the business has gone yes. for me and people in our business. When I broke in, you know, Channel 8 was in the eighth largest TV market in the country at the time. Yeah. And watching the news was kind of like appointment viewing. People said, well, there's the six o'clock news and, and the 11 o'clock channels. News. There was only, I mean, there were only three yeah, channels. Yeah. yeah. And so I felt to be kind of cool to be a young person in this exclusive uh, fraternity, if you will. But then over the years, obviously more people joined in cable and ESPNs and, and now we're in streaming services and podcasts and, yeah. and, and more streaming services. So there's your pie, your slice of the pie is so much less. And, but I always tell young people, I mentor a lot of young people that are getting into the business. This is, you can look at it two ways. You can say, oh, my gosh, there's so many people competing. But then you can also look at this the other way and say, there's so many different ways that I can get into the business. I interviewed Anthony Lima. He's on the morning show with my buddy Ken Carmen. I had him on the podcast about four months ago. And Anthony said, I would have died to have YouTube existing when I was 20 years of age, yeah. because I definitely would have had a YouTube channel. I definitely would have, be on, bet, would have been on there every day giving my Anthony Lima opinions on sports, 
Because Anthony Lima broke into the business by being a kid who got on the radio with the sports talkers. He was Sports Boy Tony. Okay. And that's what he was known as, like Mike Trivisano was Mr. Know-It-All. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So uh, that's kind of cool to be able to tell those stories and to have uh, someone that I've interviewed on the podcast uh, making a like-minded uh, thought about how you can get into the business or there's different ways to get your message out there. on the rule only decision makers can get other people to make decisions each and every day we have a decision to make also when we're with buyers in our sales process we have a decision to make how we're going to lead that interaction and if i'm somebody that can make daily commitments and keep those daily commitments then when i'm with buyers i expect them to make commitments and keep those commitments to me throughout that sales process so first and foremost i have to have a decided heart in order to lead other people to make the decisions that I'm expecting them to make. Yeah, and that it's one of the reasons I help businesses with podcasts because I, I think yeah. that if you you only need how many customers do you need to grow like you know five or ten percent? I mean, you don't need the world anymore, and you don't need to yeah. have a, a brick and mortar on the corner. You just need right. to have a voice out there for your specific market and impact those people, even if it's one person. If you, yeah. I, I like to think that if, if, if right now, if one person is changed because we did it, it doesn't yeah. matter if, if a hundred thousand people are changed, one person's all we need and it's worth yeah. all this time we're spending together. And I think that's a, a really unique way of looking at it. John, I'm thinking about something. I don't want to let this opportunity go because sure. you've inspired something in me that makes me think that you have dealt with and seen and interviewed people at the very height of achievement. You're yep. also, and I don't want to skip over this, you're an ultra marathoner. You're, um, I think you're almost 70 years old. You, you've got I've this just, drive yep. that, yes. that, and we can talk about that a little bit. These And these people that you're interviewing on the podcast have this drive. Yes. What is yes. it about successful driven people? What's that special thing that the elite have that you've run into over your career? Um, it, it's been strong-minded uh, uh, approach to life. It has been the ability to compartmentalize things. Uh, no matter what happens, this this could be an athlete. No matter what happens, what demands are thrown upon me, uh, I am going to get my workout in today. No matter what happens, I'm mm -hmm. getting up in the morning. I'm going to spend 10 minutes uh, contemplating what's up for the day. No matter what happens, I'm going to make a point to eat properly and to stay hydrated and to get my workouts in, or no matter what happens, I'm mm -hmm. going to reach out to one or two people today and try to make a difference in their lives. My grandmother, my mom's mom, she, when she passed away, she was known, noted for the incredible amount of, of letters or little notes that she took the time to write down and put it in an envelope and seal that, put the, put the stamp on the envelope and send it to someone, just a little note of encouragement. And I sit back and I go, in this day and age, you can do that like that. You can get on social media. You can hop into somebody's DMs, as they say, the kids say today, and give them a short, encouraging word. Saw you on the air. You're doing a great job. If you ever need any uh, assistance or whatever, here's how you can reach me. And you can do that multiple times each day. And I think successful people, um, again, getting back to the, they're, they're for the greater good, for the organization, for the people they deal with. And that's how you can navigate life and, and make 
make uh, other people uh, better at what they do just as much as yourself. Yeah, and do you see a little bit of that in yourself as you as you take on these next challenges and your marathon and yeah. running? Do you see that in yourself too? Well, you know what I really have found, and and Brian, I've done some really insane stuff. I've you know done the Ironman triathlon. I did a hundred triathlons over a, a course of like fifteen some years, wow. and. I did the Ironman three times. That's the distance, you know, you, you swim 2.4 miles, you bike 112, then you run a marathon. I did that three times. Um, all the times that I did something that was super grueling, and the most grueling thing I've done in the last 10 years was run these 100-mile ultramarathons called the Burning River 100, and I wasn't successful on all of them. There were times where I did not uh, make it all the way, or maybe a slight injury stopped me, or maybe my brain, the one person, the little guy on this shoulder saying, you got this. The other one saying, well, wait a second, your knee sounds like something's wrong with your knee. You better ease up here. You better drop out. But I would find that when I do these events, um, most recently I did a 70 miler to celebrate being 70 back at the end of April. When I'm doing these events, I'm finding out a little bit more inside of myself. And I always feel you cannot Uh, be successful unless you really make things uh, uncomfortable, do things that are uncomfortable for you. And I'm not saying that people to be successful have to go out and do a ultra marathon or anything of that nature. It could be something that's out of your comfort zone. If you're just uh, having problems uh, with circulation or with your knees, it, it can, you can get into the pool and you can swim. There's always some way to kind of push yourself to see what you're made of. But Every time I line up in one of these events, most of the times I'm the oldest guy there, but every time that I line up, I have a specific uh, mindset is that I'm going to push myself a little bit further than I thought I could do before. You know, David Goggins, you may or may yeah. not have heard of him. Sure. David, just phenomenal. Yeah. And he says that we, you know, we usually use only about 40% or only push to about 40% of if what we really, if we're, pushing. if we're pushing at all. Yeah. And so uh, I'm not David Goggins, believe me, but uh, I have that like mind uh, mindset that, um, you know, you're not really living unless you really push yourself beyond what you think you're capable of. Two-part question. Yep. What are you most proud of looking back over your career? And two, what are you most excited about next? Well, wow, that's a great question. I think what I'm most proud of is that I was part of an organization, uh, Channel 8, when I started there in 1980, and Virgil Dominic had built this uh, operation from like a third-place group uh, when he took over a few years prior to being the dominant and strongest news organization in the market for many, many, many years. And I'm most proud that I played a part in the success of Channel 8 all these years. And it gives me great pleasure to look back now, even though I'm not on the air every day, but to see some of these young people come into the business and uh, do great. I'm very proud of how my station's done, and I'm very proud of some of the young people that I quote-unquote mentored along the way have done, and uh, that gives me the greatest deal uh, of pleasure. What was the second part of that? What what are you most excited about next? Oh, great. That's cool. Well, I'm going to continue to look for the greatest stories to tell on the podcast, which I just think that's a passion of mine. Uh, But what's up on the horizon for me and my bride? I call her The Bride. Yes. Uh, She is uh, Jane uh, Quinton, class of 76 at Ashland College. We got married six weeks after she got her diploma. Yeah. Uh, the bride uh, has been there 
my biggest supporter, obviously, the love of my life. But she has been there. She's been the one that's been with the kids when I was in Kansas City covering the Browns and the Chiefs. Or or she was with the kids while I missed a holiday because I had to work. Um, that's what I'm most excited is, is to for us to really get out and see the world. Uh, we're going to go to Ireland uh, next year. And I hope that that's like just the start of really getting out and seeing uh, the world. You know, what really got me jazzed up mm. is my most recent pod, although today I'm posting one on uh, on Friday and I touched on kind of behind the scenes uh, episode. But I did an interview with a, a gentleman from Euclid whose wife had passed away. He couldn't sleep. So he decided he was going to start walking each day. That was tough because his knees were bone on bone, horrible knees. So he starts walking each day. He then commits to getting surgery, has one new knee put in, then has the second one. He keeps walking, figuring if I walk, I'll be too exhausted. My mind will shut off. I'll actually be able to sleep. All those things happen. And he got to the point where he loved his walking. And then he decided because things were also happening with him in his personal life. He had met a new woman, a good chance for me to kind of go someplace and really enjoy walking and to uh, contemplate what's up next in my life is to uh, walk the Camino de Santiago over. It starts from the Pyrenees in France and heads west across the top of Spain to uh, Santiago. And it's a spiritual walk. It's 500 miles. You stay in a hostel, you know, every day. You do it as long as you, as fast as you want or as, as dragged out. as. And he found that was just a f- fantastic experience. So those types of things really excite me. What's probably not going to happen, Brian, is when I see a destination to go visit, to, I'm thinking of there's got to be a cool race there that I could do. That you do the and race. I, you know, yeah. So like we went back to South Dakota where that was our first home with me and the bride. And I did the Black Hills 100 ultra marathon in the Black Hills. And that was a great way for us to get back. But in the future, we're going to go places that we can really explore and enjoy. And I've, I figured the best one would be to go to uh, uh, to Ireland because that's that's the ancestral home for my bride. That is amazing. And it's one of the things that I get to enjoy on this side of the microphone, John, yeah. and doing this show. And maybe you do too. Tell me if this sounds familiar. I asked <laughs> you at the beginning what your purpose was. And yeah. you said you want to lift people up. Yes. Along the way, I asked what success was. And you said you were able to lift people up and see this amazing thing at the station at at Fox eight. And you were able to build this great team. You're so proud of what they did. And I asked you what is happening in the future. And you're going to take care of your bride and you're going to lift her up. And it's not about you anymore. And I just think it's amazing to see that that purpose that you've had has driven you all the way from, from then to now and and just doesn't let go. So congratulations for that. Well, that's, that's beautiful. You just say it that way. And you know, something, um, Brian, it's been, again, as I mentioned a couple of times along the way, that ego does get involved. And sometimes you think the world's revolving around you. We all imagine that people are paying attention to everything we're doing, and it's really not the case. And so, um, yeah, remove yourself as much as possible. Uh, flex your muscles. Get underneath somebody and lift them up. That's all. Hey, John, how do people find that podcast if they want to take a listen to Telich Talks? That's very, very kind of you to uh, let me say it's it's called Tellich Talks. It's on all the podcast 
platforms. If you go to Apple Podcasts, you know that purple button on your phone, you can hit that and search for Telich Talks, T-E-L-I-C-H. And uh, it's on Spotify. It's anywhere there are uh, social platforms. If you would give me a follow, that would be so fantastic. Um, I found that, again, I never paid attention to like how many people the, the boss would come around every once in a while and say, hey, we're number one again. I'd go, oh, that's great. You know, and then just go off to the next. Now I find that when I do an episode, I'm checking the analytics of it more. And mm-hmm. I, was, I and I don't know why that yep. is, but it is. And so um, if you can give me a follow or check out an episode or share one, uh, that's how these things grow. And so thanks. Thanks for letting me uh, yeah. uh, mention that. I re- again, I just enjoy doing it. I don't, I don't make a cent off it. I haven't monetized it but I probably should start doing it. But, um, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I just do it for the reason that it's fun to, uh, to meet people from all over and to hear their stories. Yeah. You're doing it on purpose. And I think there's one thing about, about you and, and you know, as I listen, think back as we wrap up here, as I think back to the other folks that would show up in my living room and tell me about the sports teams that I loved, Yeah, you know, broadcasting sometimes you get that that star thing and that mentality and the yeah but real people real people like you casey jim you know god bless you because i i think it's that realness that you bring in that makes us want to kind of pay attention and follow and 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 listen and form our opinions based on some of the things that you say. And it's a great responsibility that you take seriously. And I just really appreciate all that you've done as a professional, uh, even for me in a small way of, of, of lighting my light. You didn't know it, like I said, but you did. And I really appreciate it. And I thank you very much for being a part of this show and to helping me uh, get rolling as well. I just, I, you keep lifting people up and thank you for doing that. My pleasure. And thanks for having me on, Brian. And I, w- I wish you the best uh, as you continue to tell stories about people having uh, that 100% purpose about uh, making this world a better place. And and living through it under pressure. Folks, that's John Telich. See, that's cool. And that's neat that he would come on part, uh, and be a part of this show and and give to us and allow us to learn what it's like to, uh, to really be successful over a long period of time in a very uh, uh, tough role. And so, John, thank you for being a guest on Purpose Under Pressure. It's brought to you by the Sandler, by the Ruby Group. Sellers are under pressure to perform, and Seller and Sandler helps you succeed on purpose. Uh, they are our partners in this, and we're proud of them. You'll find all past episodes of Purpose Under Pressure at brianmediastrategies.com slash podcast, and wherever you stream your podcasts. We do this every week, and we will see you next time on Purpose. 